This lecture is brought to you by Knox Theological Seminary on iTunes U. Knox is a seminary in the tradition of the Reformation that exists to educate men and women to declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that this teaching will be beneficial in your Christian life and ministry. I want us just to, to walk through these theses um, and figure out the logic of what Luther's doing. And we're gonna, we'll probably have to skip around a little bit just because there's no way we can fully discuss every thesis in the allotted time. But um, let's just get at it. As there are questions or comments you want to make, um, this, is, this is all open for discussion. Um, when, we, when we start, though, with the first 12 theses, think of them as pairs. One and two fit together, three and four fit together, five and six, and so forth and so on. So that's how we'll roll with them. First two theses, the law of God, the most salutary doctrine of life, cannot advance persons on their way to righteousness, but rather hinders them. And then the logic keeps falling on from there. Much less can human works, which are done over and over again with the aid of natural precepts, so to speak, lead to that end. So right out of the gate, the question is, what can advance a sinner to righteousness? And what does Luther do here? He says, what can't? Yeah. And you get this, this just relation of, it's neither this external thing, which is the very best thing, or one of the very best things, nor is it the internal. Mm. So you are immediately um, wiping away all of the options that are set before you, whether inside yourself or outside yourself. I mean, this is where we really start to see more clear law gospel coming out um, as Luther works, because why is it that the law of God can't advance you along the path of righteousness? Because it's only external mm. and doesn't can't move internally. Right. I don't think I understand that. Mm. Help me with that. Which part? The, the law of God, the word of God, can't advance me? Mm -hmm. I don't understand that. I, how can it not advance me? That's what Psalm 119 is saying. Mm. Well, I think what Luther is doing here is saying, if we look at what Paul says about the law especially, you know, what does Paul say about the law? It increases sin. It works wrath. Um, it is given for the sake of transgressions. Um, do you have one? Well, I don't want to interrupt you. Finish, finish your thought. But... Mm. You know, what we're going to come down to is just saying that as sinful human beings, the law comes in and it aggravates those things that are in us. It, it works on um, the old Adam and that it shows us what we need to do, but as old Adams, as sinful human beings, we're not able to do it. And the one thing that the law can't do is deliver to you what it commands. So it's, um, you know, the analogy that people make here is that one of addiction. It's like we, we are all sort of addicts who are addicted to ourselves and our own projects of self-help and self-improvement. Um, and the law comes along, and it is sort of like that um, word of 
of positive reinforcement. You know, just just work on this, just do this thing. Um, and that's the one thing that the addict doesn't need. The addict needs the intervention. It needs for all of this to come to an end and to... So he's really an antinomian, coming at it from an antinomian view at this point. No, I, I would say that, that that's not the case um, because he thinks this is a, a vital work and um, you know later on um, in the explanations he even says it's not that we can do without the law. It's just that the law doesn't do this thing. It doesn't complete us. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's still hard for me to get my head around. Whether I'm coming at it from the today's view or am I coming at it from their time? Mm. I don't know. You know, you're coming at it just as a human. Like, it's completely natural to have that feeling of not understanding why um, this revealed will of God and the law won't do it for me. <laughs> um, because we all are theologians of glory, because we all are sinners. Um, and, and Luther's happy, you know, just to point that out. Um, so we're, we all have to remind ourselves of this every day, because it's always going to be our natural inclination to think the law of God can advance me, it can help me, it will show me and therefore, I will move along the path of righteousness. Um, so that, that's, I mean, that's the completely right sort of question to be asking here. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not interacting with the theses at all. I'm just already ahead in the proofs. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think Luther's, even his proofs or his explanations are already, already start to be helpful because he quotes Romans 3, Romans 5, uh, Romans 7, Romans 8, and 2 Corinthians 8 all in a very short period of time by saying, this is what the law does, yeah. here's what it doesn't do, and the, but and the second Corinthians quote is effective, the written code kills, mm. which St. Augustine throughout his book, The Spirit in the Letter, understands is applying to every law, even the holiest law of God. He's saying the law is good, he's just saying what the law does is reveal sin, it reveals unrighteousness, it can't make me better. You need something else to make you better. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And it says on his way to righteousness, and so, and you have said on the path of righteousness, and it also seems like the context of the conversation is about like the day-to-day -day life as a person under God. Mm -hmm. And so, do you, like, I guess my question is going to be, um, this is like practical day-to-day -day advice, not just this like the law justifies or, you know, you know in a once-for-all sense. Mm -hmm. He seems to be saying here, that the law never has this role yeah. in our life. And his uh, cross-references down here basically talk about the nature of the law itself and not just its role in particular to justification, mm. but on the path of righteousness, which we all ought to be. Right. You know? So would you say it's a, that's what he's getting at? Like, just it never takes on that role? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Our, our righteousness before God is always in Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it is this sort of day-to-day -day thing um, because this is just talking about the way we live and the way we perceive God every single day. Um, so. yeah. I just feel like, I have, like, through reading Galatians, it's like on his commentary on Galatians, mm -hmm. he kind of talks about the law in and of itself at times and, and in its office, but then every once in a while, well, but quite often he'll link it to justification. And so I think that gives 
a lot of people, you know, the inclination that, oh, Luther only felt this way when it came to the issue of justification and everything else, you know, but the day-to-day practice of the Christian life is different, you know, all this stuff. Mm. So, and you tend to quote him on his use of the law, or like what he teaches on the law and commentary, people are quick to be like, oh, yes, yes, but he's just speaking about how it relates to justification. It's like, ah. (laughs) Well, and... That's where we'll get more into that this afternoon, where the, the distinction between the vertical and the horizontal is key of passive righteousness and active righteousness. And insofar as we are righteous before God and have that passive righteousness, the law has absolutely no role other than just showing us that we are sinful. But as you're saying, as we go throughout our daily lives in that sense, the law does work on us to show us our sin and the Holy Spirit works on us to put to death that sin. So the law is your sort of constant companion. Um, but you just have to remember what work it's doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I was going to say, is that those categories that Luther creates, I think, are, are helpful in interpreting him. Mm-hmm. Because, and I'm sorry, uh, sir? What, what Paul. You, I'm, Paul? Yeah. Sorry, Paul. No problem. Um, I can't believe your name. <laughs> <laughs> really, Bob. Um, when Paul, when you said, you know, God's word, you, you should advance us in on our way to righteousness. I think we have to understand that law gospel distinction. Luther isn't saying that God's word doesn't do that. He's saying God's law doesn't do that. God speaks with two words, is what Luther would say. So you just have to make that distinction. And, and I think your passive act of righteousness is helpful there too because he's not saying that we don't do anything. You know, when, when he said antinomianism, he's not, Luther's not reporting that. He's saying that in terms of our vertical relationship with God, the law does not help. But that doesn't mean the law doesn't help in our horizontal relationship with, with other humans. So those categories, if you don't understand those, then you're going to not understand Luther, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and a lot of, like, as Luther, you know, says throughout a lot of his writings, particularly the devil is not good at defining things and distinguishing things. And that's what we have to do to really get into Luther is define correctly and distinguish correctly. Um, you know, define who a person is, what the person does, what the law does, you know, all of these things. So if we keep the proper definitions in front of us and we make the right distinctions, you know, that, that's really how you get Luther. It's just active and passive righteousness, law and gospel, God hidden and God revealed. Um, like those, it's like those are the things that structure his thought. Um, and hopefully as we, you know, go throughout today and the next two days, we will just keep getting those distinctions in front of us and how they work. Um. But the, the problem becomes this. In our church, we had a man, he's a former elder, he passed away, brilliant Bible scholar. Hmm. His favorite guy in all the world was Luther. Hmm. He studied him. He died from cancer. <clears throat> His wife, who's in my Sunday school class, uh, <clears throat> doesn't really know what Luther means to her because what it meant to her husband trumps everything that her life is about rather than 
she's antinomian because her she thought her husband was antinomian. Mm. Before he died, he had lunch with me, and he wanted to know what I thought about the law. I.e., he was trying to put me into this corner with Luther, what he thought was Luther, I believe, as to say that the law is not important. We shouldn't spend much time, especially in the Old Testament, because we don't see Christ there. Hmm. And so I'm coming at it with that baggage, because what he said, and, and, and man, I had a disconnect with him immediately yeah. after that lunch. And consequently, with his wife, who's now a widow, is who's in my class, who bucks against, kicks against the pricks. Hmm. And that is kind of where my comments are coming from because it becomes a strain, it becomes a, a kind of a perversion that you have to explain to everybody. Yeah. That's what I hear you saying. We have to explain where he's coming from all the time. Yeah. And I'm not that kind of guy. Mm. Okay. So, yeah. I think about the theology of the cross being a way of perceiving the world. It's also an extension with the law of gospel, way accurate. Mm. The way of perceiving how the law does its work on me as a living and active word. So in that sense, there's no anti-nomos going on. The law is very living and active. It's killing, it's, it's elucidating, it's, it's shining, it's, it's light and revealing who I am. And then that's it. We don't do the law. The law does itself to us, and that's going to be a phrase in fairy. I mean, I hear what you're saying about the widow, and then just my heart breaks. Um, yes, it's true. It's so well, sad. You know, it's sad. I've, I've been in those those almost duplicitous pastoral situations, yeah. and yeah. it's that it's that it's that it's missing the distinguishment between the law, which is living and active. But we take it appropriate as if I can do it, yeah, yeah. rather than it doing itself right. to us. Yeah. Um, I mean, it it is it's a person, as it were. Um, it's not the person of Jesus Christ. It's not it's not that it comes to us though, living, and it and it, it does something. Um, Without disrespecting your friend, you know, the widow. Well, the, the friend is going oh, here. Lamar. His name's Lamar. Yeah. I don't think he understood Luther very well. That's probably maybe in that he's passing okay. that on to his wife and then on to you, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll and we'll 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 see just again and again as we look through Luther that the law is utterly necessary because it is nothing other than, oh, this than is what he says here. Yeah. It's nothing else than no. than God's revealed will for his creatures like and that's you can't you can't do away with that um it's the will of god and there's no gospel without it there's no good news without the crushing knowledge of your utter brokenness and lack uh, let, let's move on to to theses three and four because this starts to get to stuff where um you, you kind of have to start putting things together so it says in Thesis 3, Although the works of human beings always seem attractive and good, they are nevertheless likely to be mortal sins. On the other hand, although the works of God always seem unattractive and appear evil, they are nevertheless really eternal merits. 
How, how would you describe the distinction that, that Luther is making there between the perception and the reality of these two different... It's what you said earlier about the cross. Mm. It was so heinous. It was so horrible. But it was actually the best thing that ever happened. It was kind of the, the apex of human history. Right. And what was seemingly horrid was not. Mm. What about the fact that we have to look at our works differently. Um, Luther uses the imagery from Matthew 23, and the, the whitewashed tombs as a way of describing human works. That, that though, is a, it's a really hard um, idea to communicate to people in church. <laughs> um, they do not want to hear that, although their works seem attractive and good, they are nevertheless the things that are killing them. Um, that, is, that, is, that is a hard thing um, to get people to grasp onto. And it's the kind of thing when you're teaching this in Sunday school, you'll have an old lady start crying and run out of the room. <laughs> um, because it just turns everything over on its end. Well, you also kind of catch it in the character of the Pharisees, you know, and it's it's more palatable when you say that's the way they were, yeah. and then to connect it with you are really that mm. also is is the hard part. Yeah. So do you feel like um, the distinction that Luther is making in Theses three and four is it's clear to you? Yes. Okay. Um, Although it's clear, it, makes, yeah. it still doesn't belittle it. You know, yeah. I'm sitting there thinking of a comment you made yesterday, Dave, in y'all's liturgy, where I think, correct me if I was wrong, because I'm wrong somewhere, you give some space, you realize you gave some space to contemplate the need for forgiveness of sin. Or just to confess silently. Yeah, and so within that space given, the opposite was produced counterproductive, where in Oof. fact self-righteousness was bred because they sat there and thought, all right, I'm doing pretty good. Gosh, I'm working, in, working out of here feeling much better about myself than I did when I walked in because all these other poor sops, you know, they, they're having to like go confess their, I'm, I'm good, you know, God must be doing something in my life. Need more law. And so there, it's in fact evil. Right. It's evil because it's separating people from the grace of God, which is in Jesus Christ. We gotta repent of our self-righteous good works. Something like that. Mm -hmm. So it's maybe clear, but it's just God, I'm still stuck on your friend, Paul. I'm sorry, I've got tears in my eyes. I mean, it's just yeah. it's strategy. It's just crushing. It not only has it affected her, it's affected her yeah, absolutely. whole extended family. Absolutely. absolutely. So, yeah. And there's an ironic I, I call them gospel Pharisees. Or antinomians, yep. Yep. antinomians yep. who have no law, become self-righteous in their own way. Yeah. Oh, it's you, you all, you people believe in the law, but I only believe in the gospel. Yeah. It's so how funny how twisted the human heart can make it bend anything without getting these two things right. Yeah. And we'll get to this, especially when we get to antinomian disputations. Oswald Byer has this good thing. He says, the modern age is antinomian in spirit, but in so being is increasingly nomistic. Totally agree. Because once you get rid of the law, you just find new ways yeah. to be lawgivers to each other. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the gen I think that's one of the 
the challenges of preaching in a post-Christian era mm. is to show how people are, have really just replaced one law for another. I had like a revolution in, when I was doing premarital counseling with this couple that was living together. And just, they just said, well, this is kind of a trial period. And I said, you see what you've done? You've replaced unconditional love for conditional love. By living together before you're married, you're both, you have a trial period. And this is like connected because I was like trying to say, so look, you're, you're living by the law. Yeah. As long as you please me or make me happy, we will live together. As long as you work out and I'm grading you and you're, you know, you're going to get a scorecard. And when I communicated it like that, it was like, whoa, mm. man, we are being legalists. Yeah, you are. You just you just replaced God's law with your law, <laughs> and therefore, you there's no good news with your law. Yeah. You let me go to the church. We can feel better about yourself. <laughs> right, right, right. And how can you have a marriage with that kind of condition on somebody? And, and you know, I've got this young lady. She's in Portland now, and she's. Uh, was at our church and she's uh, a Cuban and she's uh, this guy has been dating her they're both Spanish speaking he's a, he's a Caucasian American but he has placed on her the condition you have to get rid of your debt before we can get married mm -hmm. her school debt I mean here's a here's a lady that came to this country with nothing yeah. and she he has an undergraduate now and, and a graduate, and she has got some debt. Well, this freaks this guy completely out. And my wife and I say, you know, you better leave him alone because he is, can, if he's this way now, how will he be after you're married? And that's why we are very nervous about that because that's a condition that people put on relationship. And you can't, it has to be unconditional. Marriage is so unconditional, you, you just got to believe it because you'll never fix them. Yeah, which is ironically why predestination is so central to Luther's thought, right? Mm. Um, it's like gotta be no conditions. There's nothing. Yeah, I mean, there it's just like, the marriage is founded on a promise given in a vow, which is against all of the conditions of sickness and health, good or worse, right. you know, rich or poor. And um, the other thing you said earlier in your, your comments this morning that just struck me mm. is that how the cross recreates us. Mm. Because we've got this, redemptive history going on we've got creation the fall the flood recreation you know mm -hmm. and so Christ, and this is just another cycle the grand cycle when god creates recreates us by the cross mm -hmm. and this is just an incredible aha for me because mm -hmm. this is a that's what the cross is it's a recreation we know that but it, it's in the cycle that it's gone on since the beginning if you're really into that that book that passed around yesterday by Oswald Byer, um, Introduction to Martin Luther's Theology, he's got a great, he has really good thoughts on that. Really? Um, with the idea of be opened, for instance, with the Pacta, um, he really connects creation to the cross, the recreation, mm -hmm. with the yeah. eschaton and everything else. It's, I think, just penetrating. Mm. Yeah, the answer with regard to Luther is almost always Oswald Bayer. <laughs> These courses provide a glimpse into our academic programs. Knox students can take one-week or semester-length courses in person at our South Florida campus or choose to complete a degree entirely online. By bringing together academic excellence, a vibrant community of learning, and flexible scheduling, 
Knox offers today's students timeless truth through modern convenience. For more information about earning credit toward a master's degree, please visit our website at knoxseminary.edu.